Today we're reading from John 3, 31 through 36. And if you have the Blue Bibles, it's in on page 741. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he, whom God, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Thanks, Ashley. Uh, if you got your Bibles, keep them there to John 3. That's where we're going to be today. And as Ashley mentioned, um, if you need one, there's a blue one in front of you, page 741 of that. Of that. Um, I'm irrelevant. It doesn't matter what I think. So we want you to follow along and realize that what we're talking about is from the Word of God. And I also want to thank Sarah for being so willing to fill in when, in Brandon and Grace's absence and also the absence of our speakers and sound system. Um, appreciate that, Sarah. Um, to show you how much tougher she is than me, if that would have happened to me, the speakers would have just ran in the back room and cried, you know. Um, but she just kept going, and so thank you for that, Sarah. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to work through it, and uh, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you just for the opportunity to be here. Lord, we thank you for uh, the chance to gather as your people and to open your word. And um, God, we just ask that as we do, um, that you would reign supreme, not only in our world as you always do, but in our hearts and our minds. God, I just pray that as uh, we open this, it's your word, God, so that you would speak and teach, that you'd push aside me, uh, any distractions that have led to this point, anything that's gone on, just, just move those to the side uh, and take center stage now. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up in Clovedo, Indiana. It's about an hour east of here. Uh, there's nothing interesting about it, uh, no reason for you to know where it is. In fact, I would argue that if there wasn't an interstate exit that had Cloverdale on the sign, that none of you would know where Cloverdale is. Um, but if you're from Cloverdale, then one thing that, that we talk about, we're kind of proud of, is this guy named Chad Collins. Now, most people have never heard of Chad Collins, uh, but Chad was a teammate of mine on the Cloverdale High School golf team. And he was really good in high school, but when he went to college, uh, he, he went on a golf scholarship and he got even better. Something just clicked. And so three out of the four years that he was in college, he actually won the individual NCAA national championship. Uh, it was a big deal. And then after graduating, he started working his way through the professional tours. He eventually got his PGA Tour card. Uh, he's played in the U.S. Open. He's still on the PGA Tour today. And so it's just kind of one of those really cool things for all of us from Clover to just to sit down on a weekend and watch him play when he's in contention. Well, after I graduated college, I didn't go to the PGA Pro Tour, right? Uh, I was still working part-time at the Clodo Golf Course to make some more money, but mainly just to get free golf. Uh, and I was getting off work one day, and I looked up, and, and Chad was home. He was coming in. Uh, and so we sit down, and he and I talked for a little bit about old high school stories and matches that we played. And then I started just peppering him with questions about how different life is on the PGA Tour. And then, as golfers often do, I asked him, hey, man, you got your clubs? And he did, so we went out to play. And word began to spread around the Cloverdale Golf Course that Chad was there. And so something happened that day that's never happened before. People started coming along and just watching us play. I had a gallery all of a sudden. 
right? You see, and it was weird because to me, though I was really happy for his success, I always just knew Chad from school, right? So he's, he was, there was no different. I was happy for him. He was, no, he was the same person. But some of these grown men, right? Some of these grown men from Clover were coming along and treating him like he's this A-list celebrity. There's one guy, I always remember, there's one guy who every time Chad hit a shot would walk over, take his club from him, clean it for him, and then put it in Chad's bag. I'm going, what, what is this, right? I'm like, my clubs are filthy. Anybody want to take a shot? No? You know? Every time he hits a shot, they all, oh, man, they're just raving about how great his shot was and all this stuff. And when I hit a shot, no one's even noticing because they're asking Chad to sign their hats or their gloves or whatever he's got, right? And, and so I'm going to peel back the curtain for you a little bit this morning and just let you see how messed up I am. Because I, if you know me, this won't surprise you. But at some point, about four holes into this, I was like, okay, this is gross, Right? And then it started bothering me, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to beat this guy today. I'm going to show all these old men what's up, right? And what no one had noticed because no one was watching anytime he hit a shot was I was playing the round of my life. The next hole, I run in a 20-footer for birdie. I, that puts me three under par through five holes. The best I've ever shot in an entire round is three under par. I was already there through five. And I knew that no one else had noticed, but this is what I knew. I knew I was three under. I knew Chad was two under. Right? I knew that. And so I start, on the way to hole six, I start giving myself a version of the speech from the movie Miracle. Have you, have you seen this movie about the 1980 hockey team? I'm telling myself, you play this round a hundred times, he wins 99, but not today. Right? Not today. So here I am. I've got, I'm on this random weekday afternoon in Cloverdale, and I've got myself psyched up like I'm playing the final round of the Masters. Right? And maybe you didn't grow up in a coach's house, and so you're judging me right now and thinking, what's wrong with this guy? And all I can tell you is you're right. There's something wrong with me, okay? But I'm, I'm just, I'm into it now. I'm going to beat this guy. And so Chad tees off and he birdies hole number six. Okay, we can bounce back from that. And then he birdies hole number seven. And then he birdies hole number eight. And then he birdies hole number nine. And then he birdies hole number ten. And he must have been tired because he parred 11. And then he birdied hole number 12. And then he eagled, which those of you who aren't golfers, that's even better than a birdie on hole number 13. And if you're wondering what I did on hole 6 through 13, my score in all those holes were not birdie, okay? And it's at this point where he looks at me, he's like, you know what, I should probably go see my family. You good with stopping here? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And so as I went home that night, this one thought just kept running through my head. What was I thinking? I mean, am I, am I serious? Did I really just convince myself that I stood even the slightest chance against a PGA pro, how, how dumb is that, right? It was a clear and valuable lesson that reminded me what level I was actually on, and I wasn't on his level, I wasn't anywhere close, okay? Now, one of the great values of the Bible is that repeatedly throughout it, we have authors and passages that basically say to us, wait a minute, are you being serious right now? Like, well, what are you thinking? Have you really convinced yourself that you know more than God? I mean, have you actually positioned yourself in your life as somehow you're on his level? How foolish is that? We're studying the book of John together as a church, and today we're, we're just going to finish John chapter 3. And I'll, I'll just spoil it out for you now. The end of John 3 can be wrapped up into six words. You are not on Jesus' level. Yeah, that's six words. I got that right, okay? You are not on Jesus' level. And if you've been with us, you'll see that as John wraps up chapter 3, he's going to remind us, he's going to bring back to our mind every single theme he's brought out in the chapter. 
So in order to understand the context is closed, I want us to, to go back and just look, quick fly over chapter 3 so we can read these verses properly. At the beginning, of cha- the beginning of chapter 3, there's a man named Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And Nicodemus is a big deal. Right, this guy is a leader. He's a ruler among the Jews. And so he comes to see what Jesus' message is. What Jesus' teachings really are. And Jesus proceeds in the course of that conversation to obliterate and destroy every single thing Nicodemus has ever believed in. It's, it's almost hard to watch if you put yourself in his shoes. Right? And then Jesus tries to get Nicodemus to focus in on the fact that Jesus is the one who came from heaven and that Jesus was going to die from on the cross. And after this conversation, Jesus goes with his disciples out into the countryside and Jesus teaches and his disciples are baptizing people. And John the Baptist and his disciples are also out in the same countryside. Right? And teaching and baptizing were pretty much everything their ministry was. And to this point, John the Baptist had been used to having really big crowds. He had a lot of fame. But now everybody's going to see this new Jesus guy. And so John's disciples are really kind of ticked off about this. And they come to John to complain. And he tells them two beautiful things. He says, number one, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. This is John reminding them, God is in control. Everything that we have, is, he's, it's, been, it's come from him. He has given it to us. He tells them, listen, guys, it was my role to make way for Jesus, not steal his thunder. Which led to his second phrase, which was, he must now become greater and I must become less. It's Jesus' time now, he tells them. In fact, all time belongs to Jesus. From here, he's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm just going to fade into, the, I fade out of the limelight, and I'm good with that. Because that's what God asked of me. Which brings us to where we are this week in verse 31. And Arthur John is going to put a bow on all this. So let's look again at what Ashley read for us. John chapter 3 verse 31. It says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. That verse tells you why Jesus must become greater and John the Baptist must become less. Because John's from the earth. Right now the connotation there isn't even that he's sinful. It's just... Though being a human, he was. The idea is just that all who come from the earth, they're finite, they're limited. Right? John the Baptist, though a great preacher and prophet, he was from the earth. So he speaks as one from the earth. He thinks as one from the earth. He's limited as one from the earth. For instance, let's, let's look at it this way. John's entire message was to call everyone to repent and be baptized. He called everyone to turn from their sins and turn to God. But even though that was all he talked about, he couldn't make anyone do it. He didn't have that power. He couldn't convince anyone to listen to him on his own. He couldn't save anyone. He couldn't give anyone new life. By the way, this applies to literally everyone from the earth. It's not just John the Baptist. It's me. It's you. It's Nicodemus and all his bros on the Sanhedrin. It's, this applies to every preacher of all time, every philosopher of all time. This applies to Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius and more. They are from the earth. They're just human. And so we all have the limitations that come from being human. We don't know everything. We can't see everything. We are limited by time and space and ignorance. Our power has real limits. Go ahead and try to fly this afternoon. Go see if you can walk on water or toss a mountain around. You're going to find your limits really soon. This is undeniably true. I can't even imagine how this would be arguable. But John says, and twice for good measure in this one verse... The one who comes from above, the one who's from heaven, he's above all. 
You see, for all of chapter 3 and the rest of the book of John, we're going to see person after person question Jesus. Person after person position themselves as if somehow they're on his level. Person after person begin to believe that they can doubt, they can reject, they can question him. And John is telling us that is more foolish than even me believing I had a chance against a professional golfer. Because line them up. Bring every one of them on. Nicodemus, John's disciples, the entire Sanhedrin, all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, King Herod, Pontius Pilate, all the power that resided in Judaism, all the power of the Roman Empire, all the power of the Soviet Empire, the communist regime of China, the dictatorship of Iran, every limited brain that positions itself as a superior intellectually equal to him, every false teacher, every false religion, every poor representation of him by a follower of his or so-called follower of his, all the power of hell, even death itself, they've all come, they've all staked their claim, they've all tried to position themselves as if they were on his level, and they've all lost. Every last one of them. They've all been crushed in an embarrassing form. Because nobody, no power, no kingdom, nothing from this earth stands a chance against King Jesus. 39 times in this book of John, Jesus is referred to as being sent from heaven, sent from God. Now, the implications of this are endless. Since Jesus came from heaven, he is God in human flesh. He's a member of the Trinity. He's the perfect representation of the Father. So to reject Jesus is to reject God. And being from above, we're told, it means he's above all. This is Colossians 1, when we're told that the Son is the image of the invisible God, that, that all things are created through Jesus and for Jesus, that he is before all things. In him, all things hold together so that in everything he might have supremacy. So make no mistake about it, there's no one like Jesus. There's nobody on his level. There never has been and there never will be. John continues in verse 32. He says, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Listen, you want to know what heaven's like? How about more importantly, is there a guaranteed way to get there? Do you know what God thinks of you? Do you want to know what he wants you to do? Do you want to know the most important information a person can ever know? Wouldn't it be great if, if heaven just opened, right, and God told us everything that we need to know about him? Then you must grasp what John is saying here. That happened. That's what happened. God came here. He came here to teach us everything that we need to know about him. He came to suffer and die in our place on the cross. He came to make a way for us to experience eternal life in heaven with him. He came in an all-out pursuit of you and I to save us, to rescue us, to love us. He's saying, listen, guys, when you read this book, this isn't secondhand information. Jesus is legit. He came from heaven. So when Jesus speaks, he's speaking the truth because he is truth. When Jesus talks of heaven, he knows what he's talking about because he's been there. He's from there. When Jesus teaches about what God demands, he knows what he's talking about because he is God. You're getting it straight from the source, John tells us. Which is why I believe I have the right to ignore what almost anyone tells me. If someone wants to posture themselves as if they know all the secrets of life, they want to deliver to me some message they claim is from God, or they claim that they have the answers to happiness and fulfillment in this life, it's well within my rights to ignore everything they tell me. But when Jesus says it, I'm telling you what, at that point, my ears better perk up. I better pay real close attention because he actually knows. He can speak of the things of life. He can speak of heaven and hell and God and sin and forgiveness and eternity because he created everything. 
because I exist because of him and for him, because he's before all things, he's above all things, he's preeminent and supreme and first in all things, so be really wise of me to take heed of what he's saying. Which makes the second half of the verse so frustrating, yet so unbelievably true. Because in the second half of this verse, this is what we're told, that God came here, he revealed all that we ever truly need to know, and the human response was, yeah, I'm not really buying that. I, I don't, yeah, I don't believe you, God, if that's what you say you are. And we're going to see this play out throughout John. If you were here a couple weeks ago, remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, this is how he greeted Jesus. We know, he says, we know you're from God. He's, he's, he's confessing it. We get it. We know because you couldn't do what you're doing if you weren't. And Jesus tells Nicodemus in verse 11, yet yeah, all, you all still won't believe what I say. Everyone, all you, all you guys are saying here, you're going to reject me in my teachings. And even though they knew he's from God, they do, just like he called it. And we have done this from the moment he came. Remember what John wrote as a part of the beginning of his book? That he being Jesus, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own rejected him. We have now 2,000 years worth of evidence of people who said to God, yeah, I'm not buying what you're selling. I mean, who do you think you are that you can tell me what to do? Who do you think you are that you can have some kind of say in my life, to which I'm sure God asks all of us, my child, who do you think you are? He continues in verse 33. Look at what 33 says. Whoever has accepted it, this is talking about Jesus' testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. We have another option, and it's a much better one. We can simply believe God. John makes mention here of the difference between Jesus and every other prophet that we read about in the Bible. John the Baptist, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, all of them, right? They're all called by God and, and to serve in the role of a prophet. And when God had a message for them to deliver, he had something that he wanted them to say, he would send his spirit onto them. And that spirit would give them the words that God wanted to say. And that was a powerful ministry because they're literally giving a message from God. But it pales in comparison to Jesus. Because to Jesus, we're told that God gives his spirit without limit. Colossians 1 said God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. So Jesus being God is full access to the spirit of God at all times. Which I know seems like this abstract theological idea. But there are two major implications for you and I because of this. So hang with me. The first we find in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we got these uh, verses on, in the screen for you hopefully. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to throw those up. Here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The first implication that makes a major difference for you and I is this, that God has revealed himself fully to us in Jesus. Everything that you ever need to know about God, you can learn by knowing Jesus. In fact, every, the Bible says everything that God did before Jesus, it was just a shadow. It was just, it was just a mere glimpse. It was preparation. It was all building to Jesus. And now nothing else needs to be said or done. Because Jesus has revealed God fully to us and he's paid the price for sins fully for any who believe in him. We don't need any new flashy messages or teachings. 
what we need to do is to look to and point others to Jesus. Which leads us to the second implication. Whatever Jesus says, you can be assured that it's true. Listen, there's no one whose opinion of your life matters more than Jesus. There's no one that you should listen to more than Jesus. There's no authority in your life this morning greater than Jesus. He's God and everything that he says is true, which is why salvation, which is why going to heaven, why being forgiven of your sins, all comes down to this one idea. It comes down to believing what God says. 1 John chapter 5 says this. We're going to throw these on the screens for you as well. Verse John 5 talks about this clearly. It says in verse 9 that we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God which he's given about his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Listen, in that passage, is, in that passage John tells us that at the end of everything, the end of it all, people are going to fall into two different categories. Man, around our world, we're always trying to label people. We're always trying to put categories on them. Their background, their ethnicity, their political affiliation, socioeconomic status, education level, gender, on and on and on. But at the end of time, none of that will matter as people will fall into one of two categories. Those who have life and those who don't. And God has told us how we can have life and how we can have it for eternity. He's told us that, that we are sinners and that we need saved from those sins. He's told us that to be forgiven and have eternal life, we must believe in Jesus and receive the forgiveness he offers. And those who do not believe in Jesus do not have life. They don't have life because they don't believe what God says. They don't accept his testimony. They don't think they need saved. They don't think... They need God to do it for them. They don't believe that he has any more authority over their lives than they do. They don't see how Jesus is special or different. And so they make God out to be a liar, John says there. They reject what they're told. And then there are those who have eternal life. Those who simply just said, I believe you, God. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that there's nothing that I can give to God. I believe that I deserve death and I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. But I believe that God came for me and he loved me and he died for me. And he tells me if I believe in Jesus, he'll save me. So I believe him. And those who believe that have life and they have it forever with God in heaven. If you're wondering why it all comes down to that, well, we're told. Look at verse 35 in John 3. <coughs> verse 35 says this. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Man, every father in the room, every parent in this room can understand this. God loves his son. Only being God, his love is more perfect and more vast and greater than any love we've ever felt for our children. God loves his son and as a loving parent, he has placed everything into Jesus' hands. Listen, man, the Bible argues and tells us that no one was more bothered, no one was more angered or upset or hurt than God, that, that sin had marred his perfect creation. No one was affected in the way that God was, that all of humanity now would be driven from him and separate from him by our sin. And so he put into place this divine, wondrous plan. He set into motion this chain of events that would make it possible for us to be reconciled back to him. And it's amazing what God's done on our behalf. That while we were sinners... 
Christ came and died for us. That while we were enemies of God, while we were rebellious against him, while we had nothing to offer him, he offered us his son to save us and make us his children forever. No one has come close to loving us like God has loved us. But in that, we can lose sight of something pretty important. That his divine plan to save us, this incredible act of grace towards us, it actually wasn't about us. Do you know that God didn't just save us for our sake, or even primarily for our sake? We were secondary. I want you all to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you're in the blue Bibles, that's going to be page 819. If you're in your own, it's to the right. Go to your right in the New Testament. Eventually you'll see the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2. love hearing all the pages rustle by the way if your bible's on your phone i'm not hating on you just a little bit philippians chapter 2 in verse 5 in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as christ jesus who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the gospel, by the way. That's Jesus, being, though being God, setting all that aside to become a human and to die on the cross in our place. That's amazing. But I want you to see what happens next. Look at verse 9. Therefore, that means because of all that, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus was obedient to his Father's gracious and divine plan, God throws everything his way. Back in John 3, we were told that God has put everything into his hands. In Colossians 1, we're told that, that he, he, everything is created for Jesus. In Hebrews 1, we're told that he is the heir of everything. This is huge language. It's a huge description. It means in the end, Jesus gets it all. And we're told in Philippians 2, that includes your praise and worship. Because one day he will be revealed as everything he said he was. And on that day, no one will be able to disagree with his testimony. No one will be able to reject him or call him a liar, dismiss what he says. On that day, every single knee that has ever lived will bow before Jesus Christ. And some on that day are going to do so with just immense joy in their hearts as their king and their savior. That their everything is getting what he deserves. And some will do so out of reverent terror. Because the one they rejected is the one they should have feared all along. But it will be undeniable as every living being who's ever lived praises and worships and declares Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And we're told that it's all to the glory of God the Father. That this is the great culmination of his plan. It will be everything that God ever wanted his, for his entire creation to recognize his son as Lord of all. Make no mistake about it. This rescue plan, this gospel, this good news was about Jesus all along. Our salvation is a big deal. It's going to grant us eternal life. That's huge, but it's not the point. The point was for the name of Jesus Christ to spread. The point was for Jesus' fame to grow. The point was for the worship of Jesus to overtake all of creation. 
which means this. When you today, when you proclaim him as Lord, when you exalt him, when you sing to him, when you give him credit, when you tell others about Jesus, you're making God incredibly pleased in that moment. Because he's thrown everything into his son. He's made all of creation about his son. He's going to give everything to his son. But in order to do that, he had to kill his son. Because real, real worship is not born in terror. Real worship comes from a heart of love. And we could not love a God who is unknowable, unapproachable, and untouchable. And so in order to create a people who loved and worshiped Jesus, God had to buy us back. And to buy us back, he had to do something about our sin. And so in order to do that, he had to pay a dear price. So he, the word John uses, he sent Jesus. Sent him from the comforts and security of heaven and made him take on human flesh. He sent his own son to come and feel physical pain for the first time. He sent his own son to be tempted by sin and to feel the groaning of an empty stomach. He sent his son to know what it's like to be just absolutely exhausted, to know what it's like to weep. He sent his son to know, to, to a world that he knew in advance was going to reject him. He sent his son to a people that he knew would be ungrateful, who would call him a liar, and who would deny his authority. He sent his son to be beaten and whipped 39 times. He sent his own son to have his flesh torn off his back, to have six-inch metal spikes driven into his body and a crown of thorns pierced into his skull. He sent his son to be mocked and hung naked on a cross, to be treated like the lowest of all humanity. He sent his son to suffer an immense torment and pain. He sent his son in order to actually turn his back on his own son and for the only time in all eternity remove his presence and spirit from him as he rejected his own son. And God did all of that for you. He did all of that for me. He did all that because there's no other way for us to be reconciled to him. There's no one else who's coming for us. There's no other way we're experiencing life forever with him. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that John chapter 3 ends with this verse. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life because the wrath of God remains on him. What else would you do if you were God? What else would you do if you took your child and you subjected him to all that and still people rejected him? Still people are like, yeah, I mean, thanks for that, but I'm not really going to believe in you. Still people didn't believe your story, didn't, even though you're God, still people put their faith in something other than what you did to your own child. God does not take it lightly when we reject Jesus. Because he's put everything into Jesus. And so he only accepts people who do the same. How do you become a child of God? How do you have your sins forgiven? How do you go from having God's wrath standing against you to his love covering you forever? How do you experience eternity with him in heaven? You throw everything on Jesus. You stop trusting in yourself. You stop positioning yourself as if somehow you're on his level. You stop believing in anything other than him. Must let go of whatever you've been banking on other than Jesus for your standing with God. You coming to church, by the way, it's a great thing. You know how encouraging it is to see you every week. It will not save you. You trying to be a good person, that's commendable, okay? It will not save you. You believing in God, well, you're believing in a truth. That will not save you. All of your good works, right? All of the good in you is admi adm admirable, but it will not save you. You being religious or serving your community, loving others, wonderful. That's not going to save you. See, there are 
countless terrible things and sins that keep us from God. And we all recognize that and embrace that. But there are also countless really good things that we put too much faith in that keep us from God. Those who believe in the Son, those who put their everything on Jesus are the ones who experience eternal life. It is those who stand before God at the end of their life and say, God, I have nothing to give you. I have no defense for the wrongs that I did. I have nothing to offer you, but I plead Jesus. I am 100% banking everything on what Jesus did for me in order to experience life in heaven. Those are the ones who experience eternal life in heaven. And the Bible says only those. And listen, if that's not you, man, man, we plead with you. Call on God's spirit to convince you right where you're sitting. We, we call on you to throw everything into Jesus today. It comes down to this, will you just believe God? Will you believe God when he says you're a sinner who deserves death? Will you believe God when he says that, that Jesus is his son? Will you believe God when he says that Jesus died for you and can grant you eternal life? Will you just believe God by just believing in his son Jesus today? Listen, if you've done that, I've, I won't take long. I've just got a real simple question for you. If that's you, you said, man, I've already done that. Well, if you're trusting Jesus with your eternity, why wouldn't you trust him with your life right now? I mean, where is it? Where is it that you're positioning yourself as if you're on his level? Where is it that you're listening to other voices more so than you are to his? Where is it in your Bible that you've gone through and kind of written in asterisks saying, well, that, that part doesn't really apply to me? What sins are you still clinging to and hiding this morning? What, what haven't you just openly surrendered to him? What aspect of your life are you still trying to control? You're still trying to manipulate. You're still trying to call the shots in. How about a positive question? What are you trusting Jesus with fully this morning? Listen, for all of eternity, your everything will rely fully on him. So why not begin now? Why not position yourself as a man or woman who only receives from heaven? Why not, why not position your life to where you're constantly in, in places where Jesus has to bail you out because you're trusting in him? Jesus says that's, that's the abundant life. That's the full life. That's the only way to live. So wherever you find yourself, throw your everything on to him today. Because the one who is from above is above all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is so clear on this powerful truth that Jesus is simply above us. And so God, I pray right now for those in this room who've who've never trusted him fully with their eternity. God, I pray that in their seats right now, they would just, they don't even, they don't have to recite some, some crazy prayer. They just say, they just have to say, Lord, God, I believe. I believe you are who, I, who you say I am, and I believe that Jesus is who you say he is. So I want his death to forgive me. I want to put all my trust in him. God, I pray you do that around this room today. And Lord, I, I pray for the rest of us Lord, who, who have made that decision. Lord, help us to be grateful for all time for the eternal life that you have bought us through Jesus. But God, 
eternal life begins now for those in Christ. And so I just ask that you would just, your spirit would come upon this place and really just focus in on the areas of life that we haven't surrendered to you. Maybe the areas in life that, that you're asking a big ask of us and, and we, haven't, we don't have the faith to say yes so far. To the one you're calling into ministry and they're scared. To the one that you are asking to go on a missions trip and they have all the financial reasons in the world that it will not work out. To the one who you've, you've put their neighbor on their heart and they're terrified of being rejected. The one who you've called into a deeper level of trust with you and so far they've given you excuse after excuse after excuse why this can't work. We help them to throw their everything on to Jesus today. To position themselves as one who just receives from heaven and trusts you with the result. God, we ask that you do this all to the glory and exaltation of Jesus, which is what you've wanted all along. We pray this in his name. Amen.